0: passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created. Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of Venturesuperfly.com,
1: John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel Podcast. I'm your host, John Benzik from VentureSuperfly.com, where we help double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you're in a sea of self-doubt. Today's episode is going to be really cool, and I mean that literally because my special guest today is Eric Brust. He's the founder and CEO of Johnny Pops, an all-natural, fruit-forward, purely delicious frozen treat. Since 2012, he has grown the company from college dorm room idea to a multi-channel, nationally distributed brand. Eric has been the key visionary behind Johnny Pops while managing the executive team. Recently, he has been focused on the development of the Johnny Pops brand and its sales strategy. He has worked closely with designers and key accounts to produce many years of triple digital growth. That's amazing. In addition to Johnny Pops, Eric advises other entrepreneurs in high-growth situations. His advice is focused on creating a strong financial foundation and building brand equity. Eric received his Bachelor of Arts in Economics and Statistics from St. Olaf College in Minnesota in 2014. He's also an adventure traveler, a bridge player, and, as I just found out, a kite surfer. To learn more about Eric's story and his company, visit johnnypops.com. You really have to check it out, and if you do see the product, you'll want to rush out and get some. They look delicious, and they are delicious. I've had some myself. Eric, thanks for taking the time. I'm honored that you're here, and welcome to the Product Launch Rubble podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, John. I'm happy to be here as well.
1: Thank you. So, Eric, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. We'll talk about how you came up with the idea, who you sell to, the number and types of products, number of employees, things like that. The second part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help move them forward. We'll talk more about how you launched your business in some key functions of your business. And the final part is the Let's Get Personal component where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Eric, it's time for some questions. Are you ready for the interview?
2: Yeah, sounds great. Let's dive in.
1: Fantastic. Eric, tell us the story. How did you originally come up with the Johnny Pops idea?
2: So my cousin Jonathan and I came up with it uh, maybe six years ago now. Uh, He and I conceptualized that there's so much good ice cream out there uh, in the world, but there's nothing that really features fruit as the main ingredient. So uh, we sketched it up and we uh, just conceptualized basically it. Um, Unfortunately, a couple months after we thought of it, um, he passed away. Uh, while he was at school. And so sort of in his memory as a school project down in St. Olaf, I pitched it to some college friends and said, hey, I came up with this idea with my cousin. And uh, what if we, you know, try making this product and give it a shot?
1: Interesting. And so did you say you originally came up with an ice cream idea?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was ice cream. It was, uh, we always liked the space of novelties. Um, What's so much fun about an ice cream novelty is it's uh, when you choose to consume it, you have to consume the entire thing. Uh, and we loved that uh, rather than maybe a dish of ice cream, where there's so many different usage occasions for ice cream. But uh, the reason we settled on a novelty is because you're sort of all in once once you decide to have one.
1: And when you and your cousin were originally talking about it, what was the context from which you would actually be talking about a frozen treat like that? I, I can't yeah. imagine having that <laughs> conversation with Mike cousin, we talk about a lot of great things, but maybe not a frozen treat. so how did what was the context?
2: Yeah, we were in uh, uh, North Carolina for that's where here is at school, and we were out and we bought basically a, a popsicle from just a local vendor over there. And we said, well, this is great, but imagine if it had fruit as the first ingredient but then had sort of the creamy, you know, delicious taste after it. so, it was uh, just a random sunny afternoon that uh, spurred the conversation. Nothing super formal
1: isn't that something? and now look what happens. The whole business grows, and that's just really interesting. Who do you sell to now?
2: So we have a couple different channels, but on the retail segment, uh, we sell from small you know co-ops and places like Whole Foods to you know, chains in the Minneapolis area like Cub Foods and, and Chicago like Jewel Osco all the way up to Target and Costco as well.
1: How about the number and types of products that you offer?
2: To the retail segment, we offer seven products. We also have two that we sell to the food service segment, which is, you know, hospitals and K through 12 schools. And then we have a bunch of specialty ones that we sell for You know, events like the Minnesota State Fair, or if we make them for, you know, we make custom flavors for corporations such as Medtronic. We've sort of done one-off special promotional type things for them as well.
1: And how many employees do you have now?
2: Um, We're currently at 35 full-time employees, and that'll scale pretty rapidly here going into the summer, uh, where we will be probably around 50 or 60, um, and then hope to keep about that going into next fall.
1: And when, let's say your first year in business, your one year anniversary back then, how many employees did you have at that time, if you can remember?
2: Yeah, so it was just myself and, you know, three other college friends in the basement of an event center uh, in Northfield, Minnesota. So it was us, whenever we skipped school basically to go make them so we started an ice cube trays freezing these things with toothpicks in them and would go up and down the dorm rooms handing them out to students saying hey do you like flavor A or B so we were the only employees for the solid first two two and a half years
1: and do those people still work with the company
2: uh, one of them does and I still live with him he's still my roommate Two of them no longer do, they sort of pursue different career paths, but they're still sort of involved from, uh, uh, and we still keep them involved in terms of what's going on in the company, and they still advise us on certain things.
1: How committed were you to the idea when you were going up and down the hallways at your dorm room with toothpicks and in, in some ice cubes?
2: Yeah, it definitely took us by su- surprise on how much it took off. I mean, I come from a very entrepreneurial family, and so I always knew Something like this is what I wanted to do, but I had a difficult time, to say the least, to convince my friends, hey, we're going to uh, make a ice cream treat business, and this is somehow going to support us after college. So we just took it one step at a time and uh, always focused on building the base and not getting too far ahead of ourselves for what our, what our daily ambitions were. So I would say it was a slow and steady build.
1: Yeah. Eric, most entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions, and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected, thereby making them scramble to make changes in order to survive. Regarding Johnny Pop's uniqueness, this fruit aspect, did your original assumption about the product's uniqueness prove motivating to consumers, or did you discover a slightly different selling proposition after being in business for a while and after getting some customer feedback?
2: Yeah, I would say even to this date, all of that is still constantly on the table and being evaluated. I mean, what entrepreneurs are great at is continually challenging those assumptions and picking which ones to stick with and which ones not to. Um, As a statistics major myself, I always loved putting numbers behind them. So, no, I mean, our original idea was we were going to, add a vitamin boost to it. It was right when vitamin water was a big thing. And so when we made these, we went and bought a bunch of, you know, vitamin B and D3 and all these different things. And we were adding them to the pops and our whole, uh, it was much more of a health angle that we thought maybe we were gonna uh, pursue. So it has evolved considerably many different ways. And I would say we are continually still evolving the the brand um, and the product offering for sure.
1: so eric here we are in the tell me how segment of the podcast where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs eric let's talk about raising capital did you originally raise capital for johnny pops
2: first money that we put in the original people that i uh, worked with we had made an investment club at st. Olaf where we all put in five hundred dollars and there were four of us so we had two thousand dollars and our aim was to learn how the stock market worked. We opened up an E-Trade account, and after eight months, we're lucky if we broke even on the trade commissions. It went nowhere. And so our original funding was liquidating that and uh, putting it into buying some initial molds and supplies to start making Johnny Pops.
1: Very interesting. And then from there, did you raise any capital along the way, or has it been all self-funded?
2: Yep. So for the first three or so years, we focused on events and places like farmers markets and just out about, you know, summer destinations where we could make money basically and support the business doing it. So our first year, we only ended up doing a little over $50,000 in revenue that first summer we were selling them. And we just focused on if it was a profitable spot that we knew we could be investing the money back into the business, we did that. And if it wasn't, we just weren't able to pursue it. So we sort of followed the, let's say profitable opportunities at first.
1: So you, along this entire journey, you've not raised equity capital at all, is that correct?
2: No, so once we graduate school, we started, we raised money to make some enhancements to our plant. And since then we've also raised Um, a second round of capital. So it really started accelerating once we graduated in 2014. Um, But while we were in school, it it was a low capital build. Let's put it that way. We really wanted to prove out the idea and the product before we started spending other people's money on it.
1: And how did you figure out who to go to to raise that capital?
2: We just networked inside the food community here in Minneapolis, which is such a strong place. And we ended up meeting a handful of food investors and, you know, just called on friends and family and tried to build as much of a a network as we could, so to say. And from there, we were able to find enough interested parties and basically combined uh, friends and families of the four founders in addition to some of these local food investors to uh, get ourselves into a plant and get some of the equipment that we needed to continue to make our product.
1: And so as I'm thinking about your background early on and slowly growing Johnny Pops, was there a moment, Eric, where you had to really look at this and say, you know what, I'm going to raise some money for this and really commit to this thing? Or was it always a very serious goal of yours to get this thing launched? I would imagine getting that point of actually going out and raising capital from others was sort of a, a key decision.
2: Yeah, definitely a key decision. I mean, for me, I always think you earn the right to raising capital. Um, and the whole beginning of this was proving to ourselves and putting in enough sweat equity that, you know, we deserved. I mean, it's simple to spend money. I mean, anyone can start spending money on a new venture the next day. And so for us, it was really meticulously going through and making sure that we had the business plan down. We had exactly what we were going to do with the money planned out. Um, Just because I see so many companies that successfully raise their first round of money, you're all in at that point. If you don't make that first batch go, you're going to either have to devalue your company a lot or you're going to have to completely change the way that you're raising money if you ever want to earn the trust back of the investment community. So it was a pivotal decision for us, but one that when we made the decision, we felt like we had worked hard to prepare for it.
1: Did it go smoothly raising the money?
2: The money raising was smooth for us. And I would say it only went smooth because we had done so much work going into it. Um, We were fortunate enough to win the uh, St. Olaf had an entrepreneurship competition, uh, which we won and then transitioned from there uh, into the Minnesota Cup and we won the student division of that. So that provided... $25,000 initially of capital for us. That was a great springboard. That was right before we raised capital from private investors. And that was sort of a nice bridge and springboard into a capital raise for us.
1: On the topic of raising capital and keeping in mind our listeners, many of them have never really raised capital to launch a business. Do you have any key pieces of advice to aspiring entrepreneur listeners?
2: I would say the key for us in raising capital was being very upfront with people about what our goals were of the company and what assumptions we had for how we were going to achieve that success so many people don't have that well articulated and they run into so many problems in raising money just because they don't know what they want and if you don't know what you want there's no chance that someone who's going to give you money is going to read your mind and see that there's an idea so i would make sure that you focus on Uh, We always say facts-based decisions are one of the values we have at Johnny Pops, and facts are your friends. And so make sure that you have lots of facts behind how you're going to go about launching this business.
1: Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about manufacturing your product. How long did you manufacture your product by yourself, and did you ever come to a point where you decided to outsource the manufacturing?
2: So... We still run our own plant and manufacture our product now. So that's been always a core piece of Johnny Pops is as a food product, the number one piece of marketing and advertising and everything is the quality of your product, I believe. And having that control in-house and being able to, you know, quickly launch flavors and just adapt to consumer preferences has been a key advantage to us. So we've always owned that. We plan on always owning it and it's been just a core competency of our business.
1: Very interesting. I often talk to other people in your type of business and they get to the point where they do outsource it, as I'm sure you know. Is there something particularly challenging about developing your product that you want to keep under your own roof or is it just a matter of the quality control or both?
2: Yeah, I mean, both. We definitely have some trade secrets and some specific ways in which we use very specific varieties of fruit and we produce them in a very specific way. And that's what makes the product taste so great. Um, But at the same time, there is so much flexibility um, that we've been able to provide to just inventory management and cash management. And we can run financially our company so much leaner in having our own manufacturing operation in house. So it's allowed us to just. I mean, most of our business decisions, including the manufacturing one, were aimed at how do we keep this business very nimble and flexible to adapt as we need to. And that has, you know, a lot of people treat manufacturing as, oh, now I have all this capital and all these people and all this overhead. And for us, we built it in a way that was exactly the opposite of that is how can we build manufacturing that is lean and efficient and something that we wake up every day and we're happy that we. You know are working with that team and that's what it's become for us
1: you sure and describe a challenge or two that is associated with doing your own manufacturing in the food business
2: oh boy challenge or two there's thousands of challenges but uh you know you you continue you know as in a growing company let's put it this way we had to go through you continually raise your quality of your food standards and your food safety programs. And it's not so much that our products at the beginning were unsafe, but the documentation and the paperwork and all the procedure that goes into it uh, can be daunting for sure. And so that was a, not a problem, but something that we put a considerable amount of time to improving ourselves and developing our team to just understand the thousands of pages of requirements and third-party audits and safety pieces to start doing business with larger customers. So that has not been a easy feat to say the least.
1: If you were advising a young entrepreneur and he wanted to get into a related food business, what sort of advice would you offer him or her regarding deciding whether to manufacture your product by yourself or outsource that?
2: I would say look at the process and see if there's some single high value add pieces that you can internalize. Like we don't, we don't have a very vertically integrated manufacturing process. We don't handle any of our own storage, for instance, is all outsourced. We don't handle uh, for raw ingredients or finished ingredients. We don't handle any of our own trucking. We don't, I mean, there's so many pieces that we don't do. And for us, it was just looking at our supply chain as a whole and saying, which part is the real value add? And which one do we want to focus on getting good at? And for us, it was the manufacturing. So the advice I would offer is, you know, look at from your product being created to it getting to the consumer and which segments of that journey do you feel like you would be the most successful at and there's the most value creation in and then outsource and don't focus on the rest of them.
1: That's great advice. Let's switch topics and talk about selling the product to retailers. Early on, Eric, how did you learn to do that? What were those first approaches to retail buyers like?
2: Oh, besides awkward. um, You know, you you walk in sort of hat in hand and you throw down on the table, here's what I got and here's what we made and here's the story behind it. And, you know, you just take the the criticism and the, the things they like and the things they don't like and go back and improve your product. So, you know, for us, it was... Our first places we tried to sell were, you know, sandwich shops and local zoos and places like that and the product was, you know, too big or too small or it didn't taste right and whatever that is and we just continued to evolve our offering until um, we developed the product into sort of what it is today.
1: And now do you work with distributors mainly? That middle wholesale piece or do you go direct to the retailer?
2: Uh, We still go direct to retail more often than not we do work with some distributors We obviously have a couple brokers depending on the account, but for most of our large accounts We still go direct and have an internal sales force that supports them
1: And is that because the nature of your product product is frozen or is it just a choice that you made generally?
2: Um, Just a choice that we've made generally again looking at Components of our business and where the value add is uh, as a statistics major. I love applying data To the way that we sell product. And I think that we are able to offer a fair amount of value to the retailers. And so we've controlled that just because we, when we go in and talk to the retailers, we can show them compelling data stores for, hey, here's how we're going to make you successful. And here's how we're going to make ourselves successful in doing it. Um, And that's been a big competitive advantage for us.
1: So did you say you work with Whole Foods now as well?
2: Uh, We do work with a handful of Whole Foods stores. They're definitely not one of our uh, larger customers. But locally here in Minneapolis, we do work with the Whole Food stores, yes.
1: Eric, along your entrepreneurial journey in selling the product to retailers early on, do you remember maybe the first time you sold to a retailer where you said, you know what, this is, this is big for us? What was that sale and to whom was it?
2: Hmm. I mean... We've tried to celebrate every sale along the way. I, I remember the first time we convinced just the sandwich shop in Northfield, Minnesota, to purchase our product. We were over the moon because we had a customer. And you know, this year I was out calling on Kroger, you know, with uh, with my sales team, and you know, we landed that account, and that was you know, felt like the biggest win ever. So we've tried to celebrate them along the way for sure. You know, a big defining point for us was when we launched our retail product when. We graduated school is when we launched basically the grocery store item. Before that, we had still be just been selling at events and through the food service channel. And so when we got uh, Kowalski's and Lund's and Byerly's, when they both adopted and said, yes, we're going to put boxes of your product on the shelves, we were extremely excited that consumers could get us 24-7 at a consistent location.
1: Let's talk about pricing for a minute, Eric. How did you go about setting the price for the Johnny Pops product? and looking back would you have approached it differently a lot of times new entrepreneurs sort of mishandle the price due to gross margin and profitability
2: you can always you can always price things lower and different channels are always going to have completely different pricing structures so we took it as a channel by channel and account by account sort of approach where you know, if you go to a zoo, you're obviously going to pay a lot more for a product than if you go to a grocery store versus if you go to a convenience store. So we just tried to most of our pricing was driven off of what our competitors were doing. So we just copied. We figured, well, if they can make it work at some point, at some point we can make it work. So we just sort of mimicked on the high side, whatever the other competitors were doing in the marketplace or that specific channel.
1: And though your product has that premium fruit added to it. And so I'm wondering to what extent you lose a little profitability if you're comparing to the competition as a general rule.
2: Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of that key part of why we always priced at the high side of it, because we know our ingredients going in there are as expensive, if not more expensive than anyone else on the market. So, you know, we always picked whatever the Magnum bar or the and dazs or the, the other premium brands wherever they price it at, is where we sort of met and we're never going to be competitive with the You know more economy or you know the cheaper brands out there
1: Sure, let's talk about creating awareness and demand Eric most startups have very small marketing budgets as you know How did you or how are you creating consumer awareness and demand for the product? How does Johnny pops market their product to get it off the shelves?
2: I'd say the whole key is you gotta focus uh, focus on a very small geographical area and uh, you have to dominate that market and you have to learn why is it that we're dominating that market? I mean for us, the key to getting the retail segment to work was just not biting off more than we could chew because so many people expanded, especially in food. Distribution is is a simple thing to go get and so many retailers will take that initial chance on you. Whether you're going to have a successful business with them or not is completely dependent on you getting the product to turn off the shelf. If they discontinue your product, you are going to be out five years or, you know, a very long time before they're going to take another chance on you. So we always focus on how do we make this retailer successful? We walk into the meeting. We define what are their expectations for us to be successful. And then we walk out saying, okay, they need us to sell this many cases or this many pallets or whatever the number is. And then we made sure that we laid out the plan to make that happen and just built from there. But a lot of expectation defining was key to successfully getting the retailers to grow.
1: So Eric, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business, but they never start one. Starting a business is special and pretty unusual. What motivates a person like you, Eric Brust, to stop just talking about launching a business and then actually go out and start a business like Johnny Pops?
2: I mean, for us, with the the death of my cousin and trying to, we adopted the slogan, the better pot for a better world, where we went out and we just wanted to make a difference. We started printing these good deeds on the sticks, which was some of our initial PR and just initial warm and fuzzy feeling, so to say about the brand, that we are making this positive impact on these kids that were buying our product at the farmer's markets. You know, I think you can wake up every day and I mean, there's there's an infinite amount of possibilities in what you can do. And for us, we just found one that, We, as a team, shared the commonality of this This gave us purpose and we felt like we were making a meaningful difference. And, you know, that's what ultimately ends up making it so easy to put in the 80-hour weeks or the 100-hour weeks or whatever it ends up being is that, you know, there's the cause is bigger than just the company.
1: Do you think it was your destiny to start a business like Johnny Pops or any type of business?
2: I don't know if I'd say destiny, but that's all I'm going to do for... You know, all I do now and all I'm going to continue to do is start businesses. I I, I I try to apply a certain discipline to the way that I start businesses where to me what's not exciting is the idea creation because ideas are cheap. All of the value and success in entrepreneurship is in the execution of it. And so for me, as much as I love to claim I have notebooks of ideas and I can I could do so many different things and run multiple companies at once. For me, the fun part is how do I really focus and execute on a single idea and a single business? Um, And that's what is making me personally grow so much right now. And I have so much learning left to do.
1: Yeah. And one of the key questions I have when I first started considering contacting you to do this interview, because when you started your business, you were much younger and, and you're still young. And Eric... So thinking back to when you started, how does a young, bright college kid like you learn to lead others, especially those that might be much older or more experienced, or even if they have industry background, how have you learned about leadership, being such a young founder and CEO? Oh
2: yeah, I'll be the first one to say that is an aspect that I still have so much learning left to do, but I have to thank you know, so many mentors and other business professionals who have given me advice and helped me put some of the basic management puzzle pieces together to figure out, figure it out. I mean, my general principle in management is someone's going to take the time out of their day to forward my ideas. It is one, a, you know, I am in debt to them basically to figure out how to make them successful at it. And so I really try to focus on a day-to-day management piece of You know, approaching meetings, approaching problems with, you know, how can I help? And, you know, ultimately, what can I do so that I can forward your goals? And then furthermore, you just have to hire people who are way better at their specific job than you could ever be. Problem that a lot of people have with leading is they try to maintain being the smartest person in the room. And I think that's the exact opposite of what you have to do um, if you want to be a successful leader.
1: Do you think you are... A natural leader? Did you come into your situation to some extent with some natural leadership qualities or did you have to quickly learn?
2: Yeah, I think I had some natural leadership qualities. I don't, I guess I couldn't put my finger on on where they came from. And I'm sure what I consider natural leadership qualities were abrasive to other people that I tried to lead, you know, through my youth. So it definitely was not without its hiccups. That being said, it was always something that. I tried to do, and I tried to lead just because, you know, I thought in a lot of cases that my path forward or some of my ideas for the path forward was the best way to go.
1: Did your success surprise you, Eric? No.
2: The success did not uh, is not a surprise. How incredible the journey has been and how successful my team has become and the people who work on my company has been a very positive surprise. You know, I just have a, a world-class team right now that... You know, I would sell anything or any type of product almost with these guys. I mean, uh, and girls, I should say Um, we have a very mixed team now, but we you know, the the success has been uh, a result. It's been the outcome of a lot of hard work. And we never focused on what the you know, we've never focused on, hey, we're going to sell the company or hey, we're going to this is going to be the exit. We just focused on how do we create value? How do we create a team and how do we ultimately create a place that, you know, we want to work?
1: And do you think the things that you're talking about now? Do you think that represents largely the biggest joys that you've had in running your business?
2: Yeah, I think it, it represents a good chunk of them. I mean, you in running a business, it is a, you're signing up for just the craziest life roller coaster ever. Um, so there's been so many joys just from, hey, I finally had this conversation with someone, and they. And I understood what they were trying to say and they understood what I was trying to say. And we walked out and it was a management, you know, milestone for me personally. I mean, there's so much joy created from that and there's, you know, equally as much joy, if not more from team successes, like, Hey, we, you know, got a new customer. Or, we were able to get this, you know, uh, news article written about us. So there's just all over the place. Um, a lot of positivity and joy when
1: you're on a winning team. And what has been your proudest moment?
2: I would say the proudest moment that I can recently think of, due to my cousin passing away of an overdose, we always partnered with the Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation, um, which is twin cities based, but a national program uh, that helps people battling drug addiction. And we were always, as much as they're the charity, we were always a little bit of a charity case for them because we said, hey, we want to donate to you and we want to support you," but. We were this super teeny company that you know, didn't have hardly any revenue and absolutely zero profit. And so they just took in-kind donations and let us you know, raise a couple hundred bucks a year for them. And this past year, we were able to run a promotion with a large retailer here in Minneapolis. And we raised, I think, right around $10,000 for them in one promotion. And it was a really heartwarming feeling to go tour their facility and to present them with this check that we worked really hard for and it was completely theirs, free and clear, so that was a great feeling.
1: What has been your biggest frustration?
2: Uh, I would always say the biggest frustration is, has been with myself, it has been about personal development. As you you come to these crossroads and it's always, as the entrepreneur, it's always you uh, in a lot of cases and oftentimes you're the one in the way of the business and you, it's just it's a very humbling experience to realize that it's you need. you're the one that needs to improve the communication and you're the one that needs to improve the uh, collaboration among your company and the culture and all those pieces so it's just a uh, it's a constant self evaluation let's put it that way which at times can be extremely frustrating
1: and to what extent has those situ or have those situations caused any self-doubt as you've gone along as an entrepreneur and how have you dealt with some self doubt if you've had any?
2: There's self doubt on a daily basis. But, um, you know, the self doubt really, you have to surround yourself with, again, back to just an excellent team. And, you know, a very strong, you know, I came from a very close family and I have a very strong, I feel like, social base, so to say, of just a, a loving family. And I'd say any entrepreneur, I mean, that's at the core what. What they need to fall back on, because there is so many ups and downs, and so much self-doubt that inevitably happens when you fall flat on your face. I always joke when I talk to my team that here people regard me as the expert at growing ice, you know—a small ice cream novelty brand or whatever that is. And it's just this ironic thing where, you know, here I am, the person that's failed the most at growing a small ice cream novelty business. You know, and it's yet, yeah, I'm somehow the one with, you know, who's the most successful at it. And so it's, there's so much failure along the way, but that's just part of the journey and that's how you learn.
1: That's such a great point and generous point to offer. How has starting your own business changed you as a person, Eric, if at all?
2: I don't know if it's changed me as a person, to be completely honest. Besides a lot more focus on, improving who I am so that I can serve our team and our company better. Um, before Johnny Pops was where it is today. I, you know, spent a lot of time thinking of the next big idea for the company or whatever that is. And now it's, how do I lead better? How do I collaborate our team better? How do I focus on improving our culture? Uh, and that has definitely been a, a mental, a big mental shift for me.
1: What do you think you've learned most about yourself? Since starting Johnny Pops?
2: Uh, learned most. I don't know. I feel like I'm in a constant learning mode and I plan to be for the rest of my life in a constant learning mode. But again, just the relatability to people and um, how different people have such different communication styles and what is said and what is heard is not always the same thing. You know, some of those have been some key learning points for me where, you know, it's just there's a lot of interpretation and human to human communication and it's uh it's a difficult thing to master and something i'm still doing
1: who's been most influential to you in your life either professionally or personally
2: of course my parents have been a a huge influence to me my dad uh is the chairman of our board and still works with us uh on a day-to-day basis. And he's been a huge entrepreneurial influence on me as he's an entrepreneur himself. That being said, the food community in Minnesota and a lot of these other uh, pioneers, so to say, at General Mills and Schwan's and Land O'Lakes and the people who are um, the, focused on the new business, venture, and growth side of the business have built a really cool tight-knit community in Minneapolis that we've been able to engage in. And they have been super gracious in mentoring us and teaching us. and listening to our problems when they have ones 10 times the size on their desk. And so I really look up to and admire all those people and just are sort of forever in their debt for paying it forward and and helping us get our feet off the ground.
1: Eric, in conclusion, did I miss any questions that you feel you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our, our aspiring entrepreneur listeners?
2: I guess the closing piece of advice I would say is there's For the way that we built this company, you have to focus on building the foundation. There is no overnight success, especially in a food company, especially in a manufacturing company. You're not going to wake up one day and have done a crowdfunded it. and the next day, you're out selling to every retailer. It's going to take time. And the patience needed is oftentimes what a lot of entrepreneurs don't have. You have to stick with it. And oftentimes entrepreneurs can... You know, they can outstrip a company in an afternoon. They can come up with ideas that are way bigger than the rest of the team can even execute on in just a couple short hours. But planning the timing to be correct and mastering your communication style and delivering all these great ideas that you have are really, I think, the keys to success.
1: Eric, you've been a fantastic guest. This has been great. Thanks for sharing some great stories and advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on the success of Johnny Pops for your entrepreneurial courage and sharing your experiences with us. Thanks for having me, John.
0: Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business.